This isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi, I'm Tatum Jaruk, and today we're going to talk about what it's like to be a black woman with cancer. To not only be going through all the rigmarole of treatment, of side effects, of surgery, but also going into spaces that are supposed to give you help and finding out that that help is designed for white skin and for white women. So we're going to talk about what inclusion should look like, and I have a brilliant guest with me today. I'm so happy to meet Af in person, in real life. She's right beside me. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So we have met before. We have indeed. On one of Shine's BOP programs. Yes. Um, And I only saw you online. Yes. And then when I saw you in person, you're so much taller than I was expecting. I know, I know. I am very, very tall. A whole six foot of myself. (laughs) (laughs) So it's lovely to have you here. Can you tell me a bit about what was going on in your life when you were diagnosed? Yeah, so I was working. I'm a secondary school dance teacher um, and that is my passion. Everything about my life always revolves around dance and music. Um, So I was teaching, I was going to dance classes myself, I was going to watch dance performances, I was getting involved and organising performances at my work. So everything was really, really good. Um, Obviously, just coming out of lockdown number three, I think. (laughs) I can't um, remember, but everything was good you know I was enjoying life I was working I was seeing my friends I was seeing family you know we were working around the whole socializing but outside um and utilizing um the the outside spaces um I've grown up in a small town in the south coast of England called Bournemouth um but we've got loads of green spaces and we've also got a long 11 mile stretch of beaches so we were definitely utilizing that (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, everything was good. I was enjoying being, you know, being active, exercising, and I felt like really good fitness levels. So when I found a lump, I was like, wow, it just floored me. Did you have a sense straight away that it was a something? Like, did you know that it could be cancerous or did that even cross your head? It didn't. What crossed my mind when I found it was this lump wasn't here before, what is Mm. it? So cancer didn't even enter my head. I just thought, this hasn't been here before. I need to get this checked out. Something, you know, something has now appeared that wasn't there before. So I acted immediately. It was a Sunday when I found it, early hours. And I don't know what made me found it, but something did. Um, And when I did, I woke up and I was just like, I I rechecked because I'd kind of found it early hours. And when you're asleep, you're kind of like, was that real? Was that mm-hmm. not real? Yeah. And then I woke up and I felt it straight away and I was just like, yeah, it is real. So it's a Sunday. I can't do anything. I need to just, you know, phone the doctors when I can tomorrow. So that's what I did. I phoned the doctors. Um, and because it was still very restrictive during COVID, um, they were only doing phone appointments. And I said to, you know, the person on the other end of the phone, I need an in-person appointment I've yeah. just found a breast lump that was never there before um so I did get an appointment that day fortunately um and then I went and saw my doctor um my doctor was like oh you're young you're fit you're healthy I don't think it's anything sinister that was his exact words um I think it's just you know a, a, a breast lump women get these you know throughout their life nothing to worry about 
Um, but because it is a lump that you've found, I'm going to follow protocol and send you to the breast clinic. Fortunately, he did, because unfortunately, it did turn out to be breast cancer. So again, I kind of went about my business, like after leaving the appointment, went back to work, carried on with like living my best life. And then the appointment came through and I went I went to the breast clinic myself. I, I really wasn't that worried. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, they're just going to c- confirm that it is just one of those breast lumps. Um, and then the clinician then said, you need a biopsy. And I was like, biopsies, in my mind, have never been a good thing because mm. I've had to have a biopsy for... Um, smear test results abnormal cells and things like that so in my head I was just like oh okay maybe I do need to start worrying that it could be something a bit more serious so I still try to keep upbeat and positive and think okay yes it's still just a breast lump until I get told otherwise so I, w- I went ahead with the biopsy and then went about my business went back to work carried on living my best life And the whole rigmarole of waiting three weeks felt like forever. You had to wait three weeks? Yes. (gasps) For the biopsy results? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So, as you can imagine, that three weeks felt like forever, forever. I waited three days and lost my mind. Three weeks. Oh, af. Yes. That's so long. Yes. It is a long time. And it actually got extended by three days, I think, because I got told one date, but then received a letter with a different date. So I had to wait even longer. Oh, no. So, yes, by the time... And in that time, when I got that letter, it just made me think, why are they postponing it? Why are they, you know, making me wait even longer? Did you think that was a good sign? No. No. Oh, yeah. okay. That made you me, had a feeling. Yeah, yeah, I had a feeling then that they must be, you know, preparing themselves to tell me that bad news. And to the point where I had a conversation with my sister and she said, I'm coming with you when you get your results. So fortunately she did because within minutes of sitting in the, the room with the consultant, I was being told that I had breast cancer. Um, and it just floored me. It absolutely floored me because... I still had that level of hope that I was going to be told that it wasn't breast cancer, but unfortunately I was told that it was. And then just my world just flipped upside down, head spinning, just everything. I just, I just, everything that day is just a blur. Blur, yeah. Just one big blur of lots of medical terminology. I was told what specific breast cancer it was. I was told, you know, what stage I was at. And all the while, I'm just sat there thinking, I've just been told I've got breast cancer. Yeah, it's like you can't get beyond that word, can you? Yeah. It's like, and and all this other information is being thrown at you and you're supposed to use these other parts of your brain, but all that you can hear is like you're integrating that one piece of, like, it's cancer. It's cancer in my breast. It's cancer, Yeah. And it was just a lot to kind of try and pull my... It was like someone else was getting told that they had breast cancer. And that's the only way I could, like, describe it, is that I was talking about someone else and it wasn't my actual own experience. And 
I feel like even now, almost a year on, that I'm still in some sort of level of shock. Yeah. Um, even though I've had all my active treatment, um, I'm classed as no evidence of disease, yet I'm still processing mm-hmm. that very day that I was told I had breast cancer. Yeah, I mean, that that shock can really sort of add to a feeling of, like, dissociation. Like, yeah, it's almost thinking it's somebody else or... Yes, and it's kind of like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. Um, it's so, so, so bizarre. Really is bizarre. And that's the only way I can really describe it is that kind of out-of-body experience that it was someone else and it wasn't me that I was talking about and, you know, informing people that I, I have breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just a whirlwind of crazy emotions, such a massive roller coaster of just a barrage of information, medical terminology, appointments galore. Yeah. Like, I can't remember the last time I went to hospital. I think I was a child. Right, yeah. So I've gone from not ever going to the hospital, not ever going to the doctors, to now having... And what age were you? When I got diagnosed, mm-hmm. I was 38. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so 38. I just turned 38 a couple of months before. Yeah. So it's like not having been since you were a kid. And yes. then, yeah, you, and, and it is. It's, it's like a, I felt like the medical world was like this whole world. I just didn't know. I didn't know how things ran. I didn't, you know, it was, yeah, completely alien to me as well. And so... I imagine in that sort of space of shock, were you thinking, I'm going to need some support here? Like, were you thinking about, like, that at the time? Or did you sort of, in that state, were you kind of thinking, I'm going to power through? Or where were you in terms of wanting to talk? Yeah, I had both of those feelings. I thought, wow, this is a massive life trauma that I've just been forced into and I thought I cannot do this by myself I don't know the first thing about cancer Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone that's had cancer I don't know anyone that my age that's had cancer no one in my community I wasn't aware of it so I just thought there's 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 nothing that I know about this and although I was given lots of information from the medical team it still just wasn't sinking in. And I again, I was still in that shock mode. Um, and it was a case of thinking, I can't, I can't do this by myself. I do need some help. But I'm a positive person, so I am going to use all my might and muster. I'm not ready to leave this earth. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be here. I want to get through this. But I know I can't do it alone. Yeah. So... And was the help in places, like, were you referred to places to get wigs or how how did that work? So on the day of my diagnosis, I then obviously get told what my diagnosis is, the stage that was at, and, you know, this information was given to me. And then quite quickly, I was straight into blood tests and, you know, the ball was rolling pretty fast. I then get given, like, a hefty wad of leaflets, booklets, like, signposting, basically. And in my head, I thought, oh, OK, you know, I latched onto a few sentences from that blur of a day. And one of them was the breast care nurse that sat in the room with myself and my sister. She said, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. 
I was like, great. Yeah. I, I'm, this is what I. This is what I want. This is what I need. I'm not going to be by myself. And then, once I had all the tests that were happening that day, I was just sent home with these leaflets. And then quite quickly it dawned on me. Okay, maybe I. I'm not going to have that help just put in place automatically. Because there was no like, oh, we'll call you tomorrow to see how you are. We'll call you in the next couple of days to see how you are. There was none of that. So again, a second blow when I got home was, I, f- I feel so alone. Alone, yeah. So alone. Like, I have never experienced that feeling of loneliness until that day. And it it was, yeah, very, very, very intense. And then I just, to save myself, I just started looking for all the leaflets that I was given. Um, and that's when I came across Shine. Yeah? Yes. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> so were you, how were you feeling about um, about Shine at that point? Like, were you thinking, um, you know, like, were you a bit apprehensive? Were you a bit like, okay, this seems cool? Like, what made you feel um, like, yeah, it's the cool place to find out about? It was great to see it because... The stuff that you kind of see out in the society and in media is all to do with people that are really old that have cancer. People that are old, that are white and have cancer. So it was kind of like, is there anything out there that will be able to support me through this? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. So when I saw that Shine was for, you know, cancer support for people in their 20s, 30s and 40s, I was like, amazing. This seems like it's going to be for me so that that gave me a level of hope and to know that there was a cancer charity out there that could help and support me through this mm-hmm. crazy journey um so yeah I was I was proactive in the sense of I'm latching onto that hope I'm latching onto the fact that I found something that I've been signposted to to help support me um and be around people that are in my age group yeah and not around like older people that are, are different they're at different moments in their lives. Completely. You know, completely different moments. Um, so you, you weren't you weren't on that kind of level playing field. You wouldn't have a lot of things in common. That was my assumption. And so, again, like I said, it gave me hope, the fact that I had found Shine so early on. Um, and I contacted them the very next day. And, yeah, I was introduced to the lovely Dorset Network leader, Abby. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And so um, I know that you had mentioned about like when you went looking for a wig was like one of the, you know, because I think what happens, I don't know if there was a Maggie's near you and stuff, but like there are a lot of signposting to like places that you can maybe get like a lower cost wig or, you know, something like that or skincare or makeup and things like that. Were you finding that, like, they were catering to Afro hair and there were things in place? No. So when I was looking for resources and, you know, information, everything was for fair-skinned, white white skin. You know, I had found um, a course that would help you because when you, when you go through cancer treatment lose all your hair and I did quite quickly lose lost my hair everywhere so you kind of have these things where you know you want to like boost your confidence make yourself feel good Mm -hmm. you know going through all that treatment it does make you feel 
bad. So if you can have pockets of moments where it makes you feel kind of revitalised, yeah. then you want to latch onto that. And I did, but I felt so disheartened when I could... Every piece of information that I saw to do with this was all to do with white women and white skin. The makeup was very, very for very fair skin. The people on the posters, mm-hmm. on any kind of advertising, it was all for. So I thought, well, that's excluding me. That doesn't make me feel like that this is going to be for me. Yeah. So I just didn't bother. Yeah. And I felt like, well, that's open to so many women, but it's ex- excluding a high level of women. Mm-hmm. Why is that? In this day and age, I couldn't believe, like, in 2022, that there were these disparities within cancer services. Yeah, and you had mentioned that there was um, a, a young woman that you had met or had seen speak that was talking about the impact of having a white prosthetic. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So along my active treatment, I have reached out to a number of women um, through support groups, through being signposted and meeting a specific person through my local cancer centre. And she was explaining to me about one of the moments in her process where she was having to have a mastectomy and then after mastectomy, she was given a white prosthetic. And I was I was just shocked. I was I was dumbfounded. I was I couldn't believe that I was being told this. Um and she's mixed heritage. So quite light skinned mixed heritage. And I just thought, and this was at the moment before I knew what course of action was to be taken when it came to my surgery. Right. So my anxiety levels just went through the roof thinking, wow, I'm going to be one of those darker skinned women that's going to be walking around with an actual white, not even a blush colour, white (laughs) prosthetic. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and that played on my mind up to the very appointment that I had with my surgeon before I was told that I wouldn't be having a mastectomy, I would be having a lumpectomy. That is, you know, such an additional stress that doesn't, that is easily remedied. You know what I mean? Like when you're already going through so much and this is a time when, you know, everyone going through a mastectomy, um, going through surgery, like it's, it's just the change is unimaginable and how you're going to feel afterwards to also wonder whether you're going to get a prosthetic that doesn't match your skin type is, yeah, it just seems like something that should be, yeah, that, that how on it, yeah, (laughs) I'm lost for words, you know, it's, you know, it's like, I want to be shocked because it's awful and, and also because knowing how systemic things are, you know, also it isn't shocking, but it should be shocking. Yes. And it just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And to know that now further down the line, and yes, you know, I feel completely blessed. And I I hate saying that word. The fact that I feel blessed that I didn't have to have a mastectomy mm. purely because I knew I then didn't have to have a white prosthetic. Yeah. 
but there are darker tones available. They just don't seem to make it that obvious and that available to the people that they're supposed to be caring for. Right. So it's making people feel lesser than Mm -hmm. already in such a traumatic situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's and I feel like that's what I had heard about the wigs was that it's like it's not that there are zero, but there's so few that then when you need to access them, they're not there. Exactly that. Or having to wear wigs that were designed for white hair. Yes. And again, that is something that I feel like I've been excluded from um, as a black woman because the the wigs that I see when I walk into the breast um, clinic are all for white Caucasian women. They don't cater for Afro hair. That is very, 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 very limited. So again, um, another friend of mine that had been through this very traumatic um, diagnosis of breast cancer went through the wig process and the wig that she got given was just awful. It was awful. And I thought, I haven't got the energy to put myself through that. So again, I didn't even start the process. Yep. Because I just knew that they wouldn't be able to cater for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing when you're operating on, you know, such little energy, those things that are, you know, that are, seem so embedded in the system feel so, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's just unacceptable. Yes. So how I wear my hair and how I wore my hair before my diagnosis was braided. And mm-hmm. I've had my hair braided since I was 18, so 20 years. So that was me. That was right. my crown. That was what, you know, was part of AF. Um, and when I lost my hair, I lost so much confidence. Yeah. And then the double whammy was the fact that I knew I wasn't going to be supported through a service that should be inclusive. Yeah. So that took me a long time and I I still feel like I'm processing that now. Still feel like I'm processing that now. And what was a saviour for me was through a black women's support group, I was awarded a wig fund. So I was able to get my hairdresser, who's been my hairdresser for eight years, to make me a bespoke braided wig. So I now, as soon as I put it on, I felt like I had the old me back and my confidence confidence has grown and I'm not wearing it today because I'm having a break and it's so so hot (laughs) it's a very hot day (laughs) when I put it on I just feel like me again and it just gives me that boost of confidence and and that's what every woman should have the opportunity to feel Mm -hmm. and not have to go down an obscure route to get the support that should be open to every woman, right. and, regardless of skin colour. And the charity, um, the group that you joined, was that Black Women Rising? Yes, yeah. So, again, I found out about Black Women Rising through a friend of mine that I know through the dance community. Um, she had breast cancer about eight years ago and I knew of her journey and followed her journey online and that's when she got involved in Black Women Rising and the day I got diagnosed I contacted that friend and she straight away directed me towards Black Women Rising. Um, So yeah alongside Shine and Black Women Rising I felt I had the support package that I had sought Mm -hmm. myself because 
there was no help within the cancer services at my hospital or, or through my medical team. It was stuff that I found because I was thinking I need to be proactive, otherwise I'm going to fall into a really dark place yeah. and not be able to see the wood through the trees. Um, and Black Women Rising, I just felt, yeah, seeing people that looked like me was so important, even mm -hmm. more so going through a cancer diagnosis. So they have been amazing. And um, I was reading um, an interview with Leanne and it was, um, and, and actually listening, they have a podcast as well. Um, so if you want to check that out too. Um, and some of the things that they were saying was like, there's kind of like this automatic bonding yes. experience that happens. And I imagine then there's a lot of um, sharing of, yeah, kind of things that are specific, that are understood. Yes, um, there is just a level of understanding. It's that whole community feel straight away when you see people that look like you and have a lived experience that's mm -hmm. similar to yours, then you, do, you feel less alone. And, you know, even just talking about skin reactions, hair reactions, how you lost your hair, you know, shaving it off, all these kinds of conversations mm -hmm. then come up and you know that you're in a room full of women that truly get it. Yeah. They have lived that experience. And one of the things that I heard her say was that, um, you know, it's coming up in, in, in medical settings with, you know, sometimes doctors and nurses and healthcare teams still with these attitudes that seem seem ridiculous that imagine that black people have higher pain tolerances and are not giving the same level of pain medication and the actual treatment and going through that can be so different for black women um, was that something that you experienced? Was that something that you have heard from other women? I in have that heard group? and experienced that myself. That I quite quickly had to be a person that self-advocated. You know, saying that I'm not just saying this. This is the pain that I'm experiencing. I'm looking to you as the people that are around me to care for me to help me navigate this. Don't just dismiss it because it's real. It's what I'm experiencing. You cannot tell me that I'm not experiencing that when I am. Mm -hmm. So what do we do about it? How, do, how are you going to help me? And it was like, I constantly had to repeat myself before I felt like I was heard on a basic level. So again, it was like, I said this is happening. This is how it's making me feel. Again, what are you going to do to help me? And it's constantly having to. And again, your energy levels right. are just completely drained. Yeah. And it's like you're having to, like, get yourself to the door, all these doors that are put up, and you're just only slightly chipping away at them. And it's like you should be conserving your energy to get yourself through your treatment, not having to overcome these challenges that are put right. in place when they're not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it and it's sometimes intangible and invisible and sometimes like the wall is solid and you know and yeah, it, obstructions that just shouldn't be there. Which you know, I I really and you know, understand that place of 
of almost like not wanting to deal with any of it, like kind of like, oh God, do I have the energy um, to deal with that, to ask for more pain medicine, to wonder, have they given me enough? Have they, you know, like what's, is someone else getting more because... Yeah, it can kind of lead to mistrust as well. And I I find that through conversations that I've had with many women that, you know, there's just not that level of trust there because it's broken down quite quickly with the way that they treat you. And they do treat you differently. Um, And they do have these assumptions and they need to stop doing that and make it more personalised. Not making you feel like, you know, you're you're just a number. Um, And having to repeat yourself so much. I didn't realise I would have to do that and still have to do that when it comes to follow-up appointments and, you know, the side effects of the treatment and, you know, having to, like I said, self-advocate, saying that this is too much, my body can't handle this. You need to say what, what, what you can do to reduce the pain to reduce the side effects, but also to, you know, continue my treatment. Yeah. Um, and I had to do that several times throughout my intensive five months of chemo. So um, it was draining, very draining. So when you were around and in, in Black Women Rising and going to their coffee mornings, how did that feel, like, to be able to talk to other people who understood that? It just made me feel like, wow, I'm so glad there are people that just completely get it and understand and resonate with so much of what I'm saying and that I'm not going crazy. I'm not the only one that unfortunately is going through this real tough and traumatic time. So again, it's just that whole level of support. It's like a hug, but in words. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And I know um, Shine um, has a Shine Connected group now. It does. For black, Asian and minoritized ethnic backgrounds. Um, And how's that been? That's good. And that that came about from Shine Connect conference that I was a part of um, on the introductory panel uh, back last November. And from there, there was a workshop for Black, Asian, minoritized ethnic backgrounds. And within that workshop, we had open and honest and raw discussions about our experiences. And, you know, it was interesting to hear other people's lived experiences of the challenges that they had faced, or sometimes the challenges that they hadn't faced. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, we just decided as a group, as a, as a small group, that we want to be part of the change. There's always talk about this needs to change, that needs to change. But that's all it seems to stop at is the talk. It never seems to be, you know, people putting it into action. Mm-hmm. You know, that old saying, actions speak louder than words. And I want to be part of that, you know, the words changing, the actions that need to be taken. So what would an inclusive, like if you were imagining a woman in the future that is also the same age as you, maybe 10 years from now, what would you want her experience to be like? An inclusive experience. Yeah. So the services that are out there are inclusive for every person that unfortunately has to go through a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Not to make that person feel less than, not to make that person feel like they're not 
heard and for them to feel like there is a level of hope and that they have and do deserve that support to work through treatment and get rid of cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and be able to do things like look good and feel better. Yeah. All of those. And to have a wig that makes them feel fabulous, you know, exactly. and give them that confidence that they quite drastically lose when, you know, they lose their hair, um, which happens a lot. So, yeah, and just to feel empowered that, you know, although you've been given a real drastic diagnosis, that there is that level of hope and you do have that level of care out mm-hmm. there for you. And I imagine a level of trust as well. Like, yes, that you can trust that, you know, the people that are there are, yeah, treating you as like a whole person. An individual person, exactly. an actual person that is there yes. that needs that care and attention. So, so we bounced into the future of, um, you know, what you would like for someone ten years from now. But if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, you know, pre- perhaps they haven't accessed any support yet, what would you say to them in terms of where you know is a good place to go? Um, how to kind of look to see if somewhere's inclusive? Um, I would say definitely don't give up. Um, and have and hold on to that level of hope um, because there are services out there that will support you um, and, you know, really do persevere. And I know at times it can be tough, but definitely be determined to get that support, guidance and advice that you deserve. Um, So there are places, online is a good place to start. Um, There are places like Cancer Education UK that's really informative. Um, and personally, I've got a lot of information from there. There is Black Women Rising and Black Men Rising um, support groups that, um, again, have social media presence and support groups online and in person. Um, and there's also, when you feel like you might have that level of mistrust, there's also um, resources that you can access through Percy Health, which is a, another platform and website that I um, used as well. So definitely don't give up. Yes. And I know that actually somebody came, like had been part of Shine like online for ages, but when she saw there was a group specifically for black and Asian and minoritized ethnic backgrounds was like, yes, yes. that's the one I want to go to. Like, and it's so exciting that Shine has just, it's in, it's in its infancy, but Shine Connected is all about that. We had a um, online meeting last night and there was a woman that joined right at the very end and she said it, those exact words. Yeah. She was like, I'm so happy I have found Shine Connected, a group for specifically black, Asian, minoritized ethnic backgrounds. This is what I have been looking for. She said, I feel so happy that I have found this group. So if someone's listening to this, like those are some places to head towards um, and and yeah, kind of keeping that hope that there, there are things out there um, and, you know, we're definitely wanting to do the actions to make the changes so there aren't any hurdles, but for right now, um, those are places to go. And I know that you, you have a quote, don't you? I do. I love and literally live by Maya Angelou so the quote that I've got is you may not control the events that happen to you but you can decide not to be reduced by them I love that 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing all of that. And Thank I know, you for having me. <laughs> well, I am. I want to have you back again <laughs> very soon. Um, it's been brilliant talking to you. And thank you so much to all of you for listening. And thank you to the wonderful radio facilities for supporting us and recording us today. And we will see you very soon. Bye. 